So there's that. On the front side of this, it says the big idea, the big problem, and the big challenge. So I'm going to give you guys what I feel like from the today's message are those three things. So if you want to write these down or just take mental note of them, if you want to add to them too, as the Holy Spirit leads you, go for it. You can add to these two. These are not like the only answers we have this morning, but I'll give you what, what I believe that they are distilled down into. And I have the big idea this morning as God's grace is enough. God's grace is enough. And that's really the big idea for this morning. God's grace is enough. We're going to talk all about the next one of our solas and what that means. We're going to talk about the solas this morning and what we're going to focus on is sola gratia. And it's by grace alone. So we're going to talk about that. God's grace is enough. The big problem is I forget how big and merciful my God is. So you can just write down there, big and merciful. I forget how big and how merciful our God is. And the big challenge here, just four words, it says rest in God's love. Rest in God's love. All right, so let's dive into our sermon this morning. We're going to be uh, in your Bibles. There's some black ones underneath some of the chairs here, so if you didn't bring one with you this morning, just feel free to find one underneath the chairs nearby. Uh, Tap one of your neighbors there on the shoulder and ask them to give you one if, if you need some help with that. But we are going to be in Ephesians 2. So make your way over to Ephesians 2. There we go. And we're going to be starting in verse 4 this morning. And a little bit of liturgy that we do here at Redemption Hill is after we read our scripture text for this morning, we just respond with, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I invite you to do that this morning as we end our text. It says, But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which, he had, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift. It is the gift of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we pray this morning that we would come into this place ready, attentive, and open to hearing your word. Father, we believe that this is the B-I-B-L-E. It's the book for us, Lord. We stand alone on it, and Lord, we want, to, we want to apply it to our lives this morning. Father, I pray for the Holy Spirit to be at work among your people, uh, among me as I teach your word. And Father, I pray a blessing for our kids back there in the nursery as well, that they would understand and know your love greater and greater this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we have been going through these, uh, these five solas, five solas. So you're like, 
If you're, if you're a little new to, to Redemption Hill, if this morning's your first morning, you've been coming just a couple of weeks now, maybe like sola, so what? Like what is this sola that we've been talking about, these solas that we've been talking about? Um, well, let me take a little step back. We'll rewind the tape a little bit and go through what we've already covered here and these five solas. And see, these five solas are Latin phrases that emerge from a period in the, in the church's history. And this is the church, so think big C, right? The eternal family of God, the group of called out ones. And it's during a por- portion of history called the Reformation. Now, the Reformation was about reforming or reestablishing, bringing back the true intent of God's word. So um, what was going on it was that the, God's word was, was being uh, twisted, was being misinterpreted, and people were, were applying it uh, in a way that was not the original intent. So the people of the Reformation proclaimed, they protested, which is where we get the word Protestant, they protested, and they fought to get back what God's word truly says. And these five Latin statements became the foundation for their protest. And today we're on sola gratia. So you see that behind me on the screens. So let's review where we've been and where we're going today. I want to take a step back, too, and review some of the art that we've had to go along with each week. So every week we've had a little bit different art that you've noticed on the screen, starting with Sola Scriptura. So let's take a look at Sola Scriptura. One of the reasons I wanted to go back here is because we haven't really talked about this. This art has appeared on the screen as an accompaniment to our message, but we've not gone into depth on explaining why we have this art. And I want to say that we have, uh, as a church, been experiencing something uh, really uh, life-giving, assuring, helpful, um, and just awesome. And that God's people have been raising their hands by the dozens wanting to be involved in the work of this ministry. And that has been so encouraging to see God's people stepping up week after week and they're wanting to be involved. And this morning alone, we had more people here setting up for service than we've ever had before. And that's because they want to be a part of this. They know that we're a family. You guys know, really, that we're a family. And so what does family do? Family takes care of each other. We supply uh, each other what we need. And, and we come ar- around each other. We rally around each other. And we, off- we also offer what we have in terms of our time, in terms of our talent, uh, sometimes our resources, our monies, those things, we, we apply all those for the family. And we had a young man, Jack Polinski, say, I want to provide some art to you. So we said, yeah, Jack, that sounds great. We would love to, to see what you've got. And so Jack started working on some art uh, with Mike's guidance. And he came up with, with different pieces of art for every week uh, to go along with our study in these five solas. So the very first week, we had sola scriptura. And really, the art here is, is Jack's interpretation of what we learned, what we were teaching that week. And the kind of boiled-down version of what we taught that week was that God is revealed page by page through his word, which alone is complete, sufficient, and authoritative. So God's word or God, rather, is revealed page by page through his word, which alone is complete, sufficient, and authoritative. So we have there a picture of the Bible, and not just a Bible here, but a Bible here, revealing God's word. Then the next week we we taught on sola fide, 
And sola fide, the kind of the essence of what we learned that week was that God is the giver of our faith. And Christ is the anchor of our soul, the firm and unwavering foundation of our faith. And so we have this visual representation of the anchor signifying Christ being the anchor of our soul, the firm and unwavering foundation of our faith, a faith that comes from God alone. And then this week, we're talking about sola gratia. And sola gratia is the gift of God's love to sinners is the gift of grace given freely by him alone. Sola gratia, I'll go over that again. The essence of today's message really is that the gift of God's love to sinners is the gift of grace given freely by him alone. And that's going to be where we're going to turn our attention today is on sola gratia. So I went to uh, study this week and I ran across a blog that was written on on um, uh, Ligonier's website. Anybody, anybody read blogs into blogging? Any bloggers in the crowd? Anyone blogging right now? No? All right. Fantastic. I know you, everyone has their iPads or phones or different ways of taking notes this morning. If you're blogging right now, um, praise God. Do it, do it to the glory of God. Uh, but Keith Matheson wrote uh, on this blog on Ligonier Ministries' uh, website. He wrote, The Protestant Doctrine of Sola Gratia is found in all the major Reformed confessions. It underlies everything said regarding human nature, election, calling, regeneration, conversion, justification, and more. The point that the Reformers wanted to make in the 16th century is the same point that Augustine made in the 5th, that we are not saved by pulling up our own bootstraps. The fallen sinner is not a drowning man who merely needs to do his part by reaching out to grab a life preserver tossed by God. No, the sinner suffers from a far more serious condition. He cannot grab a life preserver because he is not merely drowning. And what he says here next was, very, was something that uh, Blake taught us several weeks back. It says he is cold, dead, lifeless corpse on the bottom of the sea. If he is to be saved, he will not be able to cooperate with God. His salvation will be an act of pure grace and grace alone on the part of God. And in order for us to understand sola gratia, we have to look back at sola fide, right? Because what we learned last week was that the source and the status of our faith must be established before we understand grace, you see, we have to know where our faith comes from. Faith isn't something that we muster up on our own. is isn't something that we close our eyes really, really tight, and we click our heels three times, and we wiggle our nose, and we do those things to muster up enough faith or to muster up any faith. But faith alone is a gift from God. It's something that he gives us. And then we have to ask ourselves these questions. Are there any conditions of justification and justification, this big word really meaning our right standing with God. Are there any conditions of that that are left for man to fulfill? And do we make any contributions to our salvation? So let's look again over here at Ephesians. We're going to look um, at verses 8 and 9. And it says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Not by works, so that no one can boast. 
And then if you look at Jesus' own words in John 15, verses, uh, verse 16 here, it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, appointed you, that you, would, you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in the name of the Father, or whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So, if faith isn't something that we muster up, and if grace is this free gift from God, and we don't add anything to our salvation, where does that leave us? Right? Where does that leave us? How, how does that make us feel? What is, what is it for us to do? Like, what is our response in that? And the only response in that is humbleness. It's simply to be humble. Because humbleness makes us dependent upon God, even for our faith. In an excerpt from uh, Martin Luther's Bondage of the Will, he says, A man cannot be thoroughly humbled until he realizes that his salvation is, is utterly beyond his own powers, beyond his counsels, his efforts, will and works, and depends absolutely on the will, counsel, pleasure, and work of another. And that's God alone. As long as he is persuaded that he can make even the smallest contribution to his salvation, he remains self-confident and does not utterly despair of himself. And so he's not humbled before God, but plans out for himself, or at least hopes and longs for, a position, an occasion, a work, which shall bring him salvation. But he who is out of doubt that his destiny depends entirely on the will of God despairs of himself entirely, choosing nothing for himself, but waits for God to work in him. And such a man is very near to grace for his salvation. Church, being humble is something that is counter-cultural for us. In fact, it's counter to the entire economy of this world. Because a common saying for us in the way that we look at life, the way that we look at the economies of this world, is to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And if we're not cautious, if we're not careful, we can do that to our faith as well, and to our right standing with God. And we can deceive ourselves into thinking that there's anything that we did or could do on a daily basis to earn God's love but only in a place of humbleness, in a place where we put ourselves in the right position and put God in his position. He's already there. We just have to realize it, right? We have to recognize the position that he's in in our lives. It's there we find real assurance. You see, God's word reassures us that there is nothing we need to do or can do to earn our way into his family. So if you're taking notes, Write that down. There is nothing, God's word reassures us, there is nothing we need to do or can do to earn our way into his family. And church, that is a liberating thing. That is a freeing thing. Because the weight of having to do something on our, on our own, the weight of us being good enough or having enough of anything or providing anything to him, there is nothing that we can offer to him 
and that like that should free us from this this feeling of 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 weight and being crushed by the the I don't know the the illusion that we could possibly do anything to add to our salvation or there's anything that we have to do in order to keep it. I mean God keeps us in his hands. And that's why adoption is such a beautiful and fitting way to understand that we were rescued. That's why adoption is such a really beautiful thing. So I wanted to uh, recognize that we've had an adoption within the church family too. Jeremy and Sharon Mox and Gimba have just recently, the whole Mox and Gimba family uh, has spent a long, nearly two-year journey in adoption. And just recently, they were awarded uh, adoption over their son, David, who is here today. So David and the family back there, let's just praise God for this adoption within their family. You see, this, this view of adoption helps us to really get a great and more accurate picture of the type of rescue, the type of uh, way that we are welcomed into God's family. And in Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 6, it says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You see, adoption is this free gift of grace that we had nothing to do with. Right? A child that's adopted doesn't have any say-so in that adoption, right? Like, there's nothing that uh, the parents, the child didn't have to convince the parents that, that they needed to be adopted, right? This this gift of adoption, the process of adoption is, is about this ability to, for the parent to take on um, ownership, responsibility, care for, to be ultimately accountable for this child who did nothing to earn their place into the family. And church, that is a beautiful and accurate of the way that we were adopted into God's family. And how fitting that scripture, God's word, uses this word adoption to help us understand, to comprehend just how we um, could do nothing to be a part of our saving process, our saving grace. Church, it should, it should free us that when it comes to salvation, we don't lift ourselves up by the bootstraps, that God does all the lifting. And if you were in our REAP plan this morning, was anyone in the REAP plan this morning? <laughs> you don't have to lift your hand if you were or weren't. I don't, you know, don't call you out or anything. Who's read the Bible this morning? Um, but if you were in our REAP plan this morning, you'll notice that we were in Psalm 40. And I had written this before this morning, and I just uh, told Caesar about it as we were setting up that uh, I was just amazed to see how God works and and. In his, in his word and through his word and through um, guys like me to deliver it. But as I wrote down in Psalm 40, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. 
and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That the only thing that remotely looks like or resembles in any way our involvement in salvation really is just the act of surrender. Right? Like it's, it's just understanding who God is and what place he is in our life. That's it. It's really his work anyway. In 1 Corinthians 12, 3, it reminds us that only the Holy Spirit present in us allows us to call Jesus Christ as Lord. That we can't even call upon Jesus as Lord and understand that without the work of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean anyways? What does it mean when we call Jesus as Lord? Well, there's something um, in, in a lordship that's, in, that's very practical. And in the practical, it's, it's the Lord leading us daily, providing for us, protecting us in the way that an earthly king would, as, as we use that word, little l, Lord, uh, from, from English. We don't really usually use that word much anymore, I guess, in, in England and some royal societies. They you know, use you know, Lord Wellington and all those things. Um, but really, if we look at some of the practical sense, that's how we can view Jesus as Lord. He is a provider. He does lead us, protect us in the way that an earthly king or Lord would. But there's something greater there, too, that we've got to recognize. And that's that Jesus um, is our Lord in an eternal sense. He is the king who, through him, all things were created. He's the king who descended to earth, lived a perfect life here. But and only through him our sins could be forgiven and our relationship with the Father could be reconciled. And then he is the only king who can use his enemies as a footstool. Like that should give us an accurate picture about this king that we have as Lord over our lives and just how powerful he is. You see, when that Holy Spirit reveals to us, as it said, as it said in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, reveals to us that the, uh, that the, what the gospel is and its truth and gives us this free gift of faith by grace alone, not by anything that we can offer, our only response in that is surrender. We have no choice that when we have this encounter, when God has planted that in our lives, when he has given us that gift of faith, and we realize, we recognize that there is nothing that we can do to possibly save ourselves, we just stop struggling with that. And we completely surrender. We surrender to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, and to the Rock of Ages. And as I was writing that this week, I was reminded of that hymn, The Rock of Ages. And there's something that's beautiful about that, the way that that hymn is written, that I think is also perfect for what we're applying today in this sola gratia, this grace alone. And the hymn tells us, Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal not, uh, no uh, respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. 
Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the, to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I, fly, I, I, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. We've got to remember, as we've learned earlier, that we aren't bringing anything to God. This picture of, of that we may have even learned in church before, I feel like I've heard it taught before that we have to reach out, that life preserver that God has thrown to us, and all we have to do is just go for it. And then he, like, that's, like, that's the moment of, of salvation, right? That that's that moment when, when, you, when you respond in that way. But you can't reach out if you're dead. And this view of us being spiritually dead is what we have to latch on to. And there's nothing that a dead man can do to bring himself back to life. Can I get an amen? Right? There's nothing that they can do to bring themselves back to life. Only by the work of the Father could we be given spiritual life again. Or at first. (laughs) Only by the work of the Father can we be given spiritual life. Church, let that sink in. Because when we really grasp that, when we get a hold of that strong, then we realize that there really is nothing that we can add to our salvation. That there's nothing that we can, we can do as a part of that work. And so if there's nothing that we can do a part of that work, there's nothing we can do to fall out of his hands either. Let's rest in that, church. Let's rest in this truth that we add nothing to our salvation, that there's nothing we could bring to the cross. Instead, as the hymn said, we come naked and God does the dressing. We come helpless and God provides his grace to us. And we come faithless. Only he can save and him alone. That's really the essence of what we're talking about this morning in sola gratia. As we said before, in the simplest terms, the big idea here is that God's grace is enough for us. God's grace is enough. But we've got to remember just how big and how merciful our God is. We've got to remember how big he is, how much in control he is, how much that that our place, our existence in his family, our right standing before God is totally up to him and a work only that he can do and nothing that we can bring to the cross. We We come to him helpless and he is our helper. We come to him faithless and he provides our faith. But that's the work that he does with us. And that big challenge is just to do that. It's just to rest in God's love. To find rest. That we are a child, as we sang this morning, we are children by grace and grace alone. Guys, we're singing 
big foundational truths within our worship songs. We don't just pick songs that sound great on the radio or that we think are really, really cool and they you know, would fit in awesome with the of Redemption Hill. We're very particular about the songs that we use to go into worship every week. And so when we worship, when we go to him and worship, you should know that the, that the truths that are inside of these worship songs are ones that you can apply to your lives. So as we come back to worship, as we go into another time of worship, I want us to do that. The songs, the, the, the set list that we picked out this morning was very intentional. And we come into this place every single week meant to be submitted in a posture of submission to God's word, but to also be completely open in our praise and our worship of him. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up, our musicians from this morning, as we go into this next time of worship. And guys, I want us to apply these truths that are, that are to our lives. Because when we realize that it's, that it's by grace and grace alone that we can be children of God, it should even liberate our worship. Right? We should be able to come to him with, with our arms stretched high. And if you're not comfortable stretching your arms high, it's totally fine too. You can, be, you can lift your hearts and worship to him today. And don't be worried about how you sound. All right? Let's... Let's just all give each other grace in that, right? Like that we can lift up our voices as brothers and sisters in Christ and do that. And we're going to come to God's table. We're going to open the communion table this morning. Kendall and I will be over here at the table. And we're going to go to him as um, to the Lord's Supper as he's uh, invited us to. That we get this privilege of coming to his table to remember only by the blood of Jesus and his broken body and his sacrifice to us can we be reconciled to God. And we get this great remembrance of that. The Lord's table is open for believers. So we'd ask too, if, if um, you're here this morning and, and you're still investigating Christianity and, and that's just, uh, that's okay. You can, you can abstain from the table. There's no pressure there at all. But for believers who are among us this morning, this is a privilege. This is a, uh, something that, that God invites us into to come to his table. And what we get to do is we get to do three things, more or less. We get to remember his sacrifice for us, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And we get to do a little bit of, of, of um, uh, reflecting on our lives. And before we come to the table, we reflect and we ask God to help us in ways that we need to repent. So if we've been trying to do anything on our own, anything that we've been trying to muster up faith, or we've been, we've been fooling ourselves, deceiving ourselves into believing that there's something we can do to be a part of our salvation, then we can repent of those things. And others. And if you need time to confess that to the Lord or to your brothers or sisters in Christ, you can do that too before you come to the table. But then let's come back to our chairs and let's rejoice. Let's rejoice in a mighty, mighty Savior. And He is mighty to save. And that's worth singing about, right? Amen. That's worth lifting our voices for. That's worth playing our instruments. 
<laughs> hitting the keys. Like that is worth rejoicing in this morning. Amen. So let's do that. You guys stand with me as we, as we pray and as we go into this time of communion. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed in reverence of our, of our Father in heaven. Lord, we ask you, Lord, with our hearts open, with our hands open, that there's nothing that we brought in these hands to lift up to you. There's nothing we did to reach out to you to save ourselves, Lord, that we were dead in our transgressions. We were dead, Lord. We were spiritually dead until you came along and gave us life. Father, we thank you for this free gift for the grace that you've given to us sinners, Lord, that you have rescued us and that the, the blood of your son, Jesus, covers us and makes it possible for us to be in the family of God, makes it possible for us to love one another. Father, we come to your table this morning in the way that your son, Jesus, established it for us, telling us that This is his broken body, broken for us, Lord. This is his spilled blood, this blood of the new covenant for us. This promise of eternal life in heaven. Father, we're thankful. We come with thankful hearts. And we come with glad hearts. For this is the day that you've made. We rejoice. We we are glad in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.